the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 64, recorded Thursday, November 1st, 2012. Simple Sharp. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, with us this week, uh, we have an interesting group because most of them are on the East Coast surviving Hurricane Sandy. Uh, but first, the one is who is not is Mr. Rich Fragoza from FragozaDesign.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Uh uh, basking in the afterglow of a World Series parade in Halloween, so it's a pretty good day. Yeah. So World and, and deep, condol- deep condolences <laughs> to your St. Louis Cardinals for uh, making history, although ignominious in nature. Yeah. Anyhow. Ouch. Go, go, go Gigantes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, back on across the, the 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 other side of the world. Uh, the four gentlemen who are still on the East Coast, and thank you so much for joining us, uh, regardless of. of of how you what you guys have done because you uh, all four of you have done something interesting. Um, first is Steve Greenblatt. He is from Control Concepts um, and he's in the parking lot of a mall joining us. How are you, Steve? I'm doing great. You know, just just making it work. Absolutely. Um, and the other three gentlemen are from Crestron Electronics who are running off a generator <laughs> right now. I think this is the first time we've done that. Uh, first is Fred Bargetzi, the VP of Technology. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Very good. And uh, two newcomers, both from Crestron, is uh, let's do the guy that makes things and the guy that makes them sound cool. Uh, Tuan Lerenfeld, he is the technology manager for Control Systems. How are you? I'm doing well, Tim. Yourself? Good. Uh, and also Nick Scott, he is the marketing solutions manager for Control Systems. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, well, this week we're going to talk about LG and 4K and whether or not 4K is the new 3D, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. Uh, whether or not we like uh, open uh, source platforms uh, for our smart TVs, and of course we're going to talk about uh, some Crestron stuff because they've just started shipping, I'm going to call it the big boys of the 3-series processor, nothing against what you guys have shipped before, but, but finally we're getting... Um, uh, bigger processors. How about that? Bigger, bigger control systems uh, with the three series. But first, we are going to talk a little bit about Hurricane Sandy. Uh, thanks to Jason Knott and the guys over at CE Pro, they wrote a very nar- interesting article about not just Hurricane Sandy in general, but hurricanes and storms and things of that nature. Uh, Rich, we're going to start with you on this. Is there anything you can do for a client with a client? Walk a client through. Either when you start setting up a system and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm in Cal- you know, we're in California. You might want to t- try this or this or this," or like the guys on the East Coast, um, maybe necessarily you know uh, be, uh, be ready for a hurricane in the Northeast, but summer or you know strong winter storms. Is there something you can do, you know, with the client to kind of walk them through and say, uh, "Hey, these are things you need to look out for. Or, hey, here's something that we can put in place to to help safeguard your investment." 
Um, you know, we, we, we have had that happen before. I mean, it's, I think you do this long enough, you're going to come across situations where the unexpected happens. Uh, we've had projects where the home is caught on fire. We've had projects where, you know, although um, we don't have it a lot on the West Coast, I have a lot of East Coast clients where we've had direct lightning strikes. Oh, wow. um, and so, you know, there, there is the kind of the act of God conversation that you do have with a client when you are uh, kind of brainstorming how this is going to come together and deciding what are your critical systems and then deciding what are your ancillary systems. Um, the most important part being is most of these places do run on generators um, that we deal with. Um, you know, necessarily in a smaller project, maybe you're going to battery back up and you're trying to do maybe a clean shutdown. Uh, but yeah, you know, definitely it is something to consider. Even just the basic conversations with them going, okay, here's all of your, here's photos of your product. Here's all of the serial numbers. Here's the information that you need to have in place for your insurance agent, just in case something happens. Just kind of basic little things that you would do for any other aspect of the construction of a home. Um, I think, you know, absolutely the electronics are part of it because it's an investment. Um, you know, have we had it with every client, that conversation? No, you know, and, and this winds up being a reminder that, you know, you, you ought to at least have a clause in there to be able to say, here are the things to consider, here are some of the procedures and the steps that you can take, uh, you know, if the investment warrants it. I mean, I think if, you know, maybe you're putting a pair of speakers in and an amplifier, you're not as concerned as a post-nation system or, you know, other items like that, but it does give you pause to think because, you know, these are not inexpensive items that we're putting in. And I've been getting photographs from a couple of my friends who are integrators on the East Coast, and sure enough, you're seeing, you know, walls have been dropped, and I'm getting photographs of, you know, racks that are basically splayed in the middle of a house, you know, with water damage. And it's, it, it obviously has happened. So now we do need to take a step back and say, okay, let's, um, let's do our due diligence and, and be a bit responsible with clients because it is, you know, in their mind. It's also a good reason to go back to clients and say, okay, this is what's happened in other areas. We really ought to have a, uh, not, we ought to have an inclement weather plan. You know, I don't, I don't want to use the word disaster uh, loosely. So an inclement weather, a bad weather plan. Uh, but this is a disaster. I mean, I'm not. I'm not trying to make light of of, of the hurricane. But there is is there maybe um, a, a a tiered response here? Is there a tiered uh, solution here where you go, okay, here's the holy crap, the 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 proverbial stuff has hit the fan solution, and then here is the inclement weather. You know, it's going to storm for a couple of days, and you might and you might have a lightning strike. Uh, you know, I, I think the first thing that it has to go back to is who you're partnered with, because there's certain things that are out of your control. Uh, and, and the first one being power. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter how many backup plans you have in place. If you do not have a means to generate power, that's the first thing, because all of these items are microprocessor-driven. So, you know, you do have your first line of defense, which is anything that is driven by a microprocessor should have some form of surge protection, and battery backup so that it can elegantly shut down. And you see that a lot. There's, and there's so much more technology that allows for it. In the, in the old days, you had maybe two manufacturers to choose from, and they were mostly connected to computers. Now we're getting to the point with enabled devices that you can have some procedures in place to shut them down. So I think that, yeah, you know, in every project, you, you ought to have that. Here's, here's how we prevent from... Um, the the weather issues causing the first jolt, which is along the electrical line. 
Then you go down the second line, which is, okay, after everything's done, even deciding where you're going to house the equipment. Uh, you know, a lot of that have had electronics, especially in New York, is you have areas that are subterranean. They're, they're basically below sea level. So when the water came in, guess where the water went? <laughs> yeah. uh, we, had, uh, we had several data centers. I know my hosting company um, for my website was underwater. Um, and they went as long as they could, and then they went offline for a little while. I mean, they were great about telling us that, but I think that even even just that is thinking about, uh, maybe we ought to go to high ground instead of low ground where we put some of these things. But it's, it's a difficult conversation to have. It's, 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 you know, it's like buying insurance at the same time. You know, it's a, nobody ever needs it in, until they have to use it. And it's hard to justify sometimes with electronics all of these additional costs for the just-in-case conversation. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's causing me to think, you know, how, how can we present it? Um, Steve, uh, Rich makes a good point about, you know, bringing this to your client early on and maybe having a clause in there. Is that valid when it comes to, to doing the system? And is there a difference maybe between talking to a residential client and talking to a commercial client about this? Well, on the commercial side, one thing that we can parallel to is that a lot of, businesses we found are, uh, that are in big buildings or uh, just uh, on, on the corporate level have scheduled shutdowns so that they can determine and confirm that if their system's good in and they're going to be reliable. So so even though we're not talking about a natural disaster or a hurricane or, or, or an earthquake, we're, we're still planning ahead and thinking about uh, how, how do these systems impact by loss of power and then re-energizing and, and does everything come up in the last are there any damages that are that are uh, confer that that occur from that Twan, you guys it, go ahead I was going to say well one more thing to think about too just on a presidential level that I could relate to lately is you know it's important to have battery backups it's also important to have manual overrides uh, you know something that, that is easy to relate to, I think, for everybody, is you need to be able to get the car out of the garage without the use of the powered garage door opener. So it's, uh, it, all these things do draw parallels between everyday life and, and AD and, and automation. So you're saying that regardless of what you're automating, and make sure that there's a way to do that it, with manual power, right? Yeah, you never know when you can't rely on it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Tuan, from a manufacturer standpoint, uh, both Rich and, and, and Steve mentioned the fact that these are microprocessors that run all these these automation systems. Uh, I'm not an engineer. I'm not an electrical engineer by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm going to ask maybe a silly question, but I'll still ask it. Is there something you guys can do as manufacturers internally that says, you know what, this voltage has dropped a certain amount or, or we're detecting, detecting a spike let's shut everything down or let's go to a preset um, protection plan maybe internally? Um, well, that's a good question. We, we are building into our uh, three series processors the ability to survive higher spikes on, for example, COM ports and other inputs that come from, for example, pool controllers where, you know, a lightning strike or any kind of big surge is easily, uh, you know, that happens easily. Uh, as far as the uh, power, we try to make our power uh, controllers, you know, robust enough that it can handle uh, quite a bit of uh, fluctuation in power. But other than battery backup, I'd like to add any kind of power conditioner is a is a must-have in a AV rack. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with that as well. <laughs> so, right, and not only that, Tim, this is Fred. We, uh, you know, as far as the control system itself goes, uh, you know, look, it's a computer, right? And um, computers just don't like to see the spikes, the brownouts. They really wreak havoc with, um, as Rich said, with this electronic equipment. Um, you know, one of the one of the nice things though about a control system is theoretically, anyways, is that uh, you know you're not writing to disk all the time typically, and so um, because the the program is stored in non-volatile memory. When the power goes down, it should come back up, and there, there really shouldn't be too many issues, even if it's not gracefully powered down. Sometimes, though, when you get into a brownout stage and the power is going up and down and up and down, you know, that's where you can get into a position where um, you know, the system may be confused. And as Tuan said, uh, look, we always recommend having some sort of battery backup in there to get you through the brownouts and some of the nasty stuff. As far as lightning and other things go, we see lots of damage. Um, as Tuan said, it, it typically comes from other extraneous systems, uh, for example, connecting to the pool, it becomes a big lightning rod. And then if you have a hardwired connection to the control system, there's your, there's your big conduit mm -hmm. and, uh, and bad things happen. So um, we actually make optical isolators to uh, talk over Ethernet and RS-232 to separate out uh, some of these subsystems that become susceptible to lightning and other elements outside. Um, but, you know, a lot of this obviously has to be considered at design time, and it's it's something that some people just don't consider until it happens. Let me ask a, a general question to, to the three Crestron guys, and any of you guys could answer this. Um, you, you, made, you said something there, there, Fred, that I think that some people forget, the fact that these things are computers. I mean, Rich even you know, said that these are microprocessors, but these are computers, right? Is there a way that, without beating it over people's heads, when it comes to talking to the end user or, or the pseudo end user, whether that's um, you know technology managers or the guys that, that install these systems, that you can remind remind people that these are computers and they need to be treated as such? That, like Twan said, you guys recommend putting a power conditioner. In. Is there a way that you can maybe you know remind people that hey, you know that the, these need to be treated? as you would, you know, a laptop or a PC? Um, you know, I think it comes down to, you can you can tell people this all you want, and I'll, I'll be honest, um, you know, when the power conditioners and all these things came out, I was quite skeptical. Uh, being an electrical engineer and all, you know, I said the, the value of these things is, is not that high. But if you look at even a, uh, a TV, a display today, right, these things are computers as well. Um, you know, the, with the smart TVs going on, there's a lot of things going on in there. They're sensitive to electrical issues. And I think the best thing, or the, the, really the only way to make it stick with people, is when that TV dies and the clients get ticked off because they can't watch TV or they're inconvenienced, all of a sudden it becomes an important thing. And they remember that for the next job. And then they feel confident selling it to the customer. If they don't have that confidence, it's really tough to sell them an extra couple thousand dollars worth of this protection gear. Um, you know, and that's something we really don't even make, and, and here I am pitching it. I'll tell you, I've become a believer in it, um, really just for the inconvenience factor. Well, why don't you guys make them? Come on, make them well, and then sell them the whole product. You know, they, they, they do in, in some respect, or I guess you license it. I don't know if you guys necessarily make it. I, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. I, I, <laughs> I've beaten you guys up once or twice about making things that I think are silly, like, I don't know, shades. So, all right. <laughs> That's just me. I'm just, you know, weird that way. You guys make really great video and control, but the shades are kind of weird. Uh, moving on. These, oh, the whole backstory to that. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is. And, um, I, next story we're going to do is, is about the cloud, and this is, actually comes from Cisco. Surprise, surprise. Um, 
But but the story is actually is, is valid. It says small businesses going to the cloud, and there are, there are three or four considerations or, or things that they're they're worried about. Two of the of the three that really kind of caught my eye. One was create a migration plan. The other one was think about rea- reliability. Um, Nick, you guys do control. That's that's what you do in, in video as well. Uh, the thing that struck me about this, uh, especially coming from Cisco, and Cisco, of course, you know, buying Tanberg a couple years ago, so they've gotten into AV and they're they're slowly making their way. And um, is there a time or a, a place where the Crestron system, maybe the Crestron infrastructure, where you know what the the, the program you use to, to write the code is is you know, either um, either a, a simple Windows or simple or a, you know simple Plus or the system builder? Where that file would live in the cloud, can you see that at all? And if so, what are some of the reliability issues? Or is it the fact that you don't see it because of the reliability issues? Well, actually, I think this is something Twan could also chime in on. But there's a the idea of um, why not serve up some of these different applications from the cloud that we're you know that we use. Um, in the control environment. So, you know, as control processors get even more powerful, um, why not just connect your codec right to the cloud or the control processor in the cloud? Um, You know, I think we're probably a ways away, but there's actually other uh, services and things that, again, I'll let Tuan chime in on on some of that stuff uh, or even Fred, but um, it's something that we have thought about and definitely talked about. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nick is right. And what you see, at least when I deal with large corporations, is that a lot of it are actually stored, you know, in their server infrastructure, and whether that's the cloud or, you know, it doesn't really matter to us. As long as there's an Ethernet connection, we can get the data. Um, Would I put the program in the cloud? I'm not sure, Um, you know, especially given the hurricane, losing my internet connectivity. (laughs) it would be kind of bad if I couldn't turn my lights on, you know, while I still had power, but I lost my internet. So I, I don't, you know, you have to make a very conscious decision on what you're going to rely on cloud-based and what you want to have on-premise. But yeah, we are seeing more and more, and that's one of the reasons why we are on the three series, you know, slowly introducing uh, the C sharp language as a programming language alternative, because that makes the entire cloud connectivity so much easier to implement than trying to do it in simple Windows, simple Plus. Is this one of these things where maybe the control processors, the actual, and, and Twan, you make a good point about not being able to turn, turn on your lights and, and having that, but is this one of these things where maybe, um, Fred, where, where the control processor isn't necessarily on the cloud, but everything else is, where you're controlling, you know, uh, the video and everything, you're, and you're controlling maybe, you know, an Amazon server somewhere or a, a, a um, Oh, uh, not Squarespace. Yeah, Squarespace server somewhere or a Rackspace server somewhere where your guys' physical equipment is there, but it's talking to everything in the cloud. You know, again, I think it really depends upon, uh, I mean, well, first of all, let me say, just moving to the cloud doesn't make something good, right? So I think it really has to be purpose-driven. The uh, the control systems and the power of them are getting so high. I mean, if you think about the processors that are in your cell phone today, uh, in an iPhone or whatever it might be, an Android, right, these ARM processors are spectacularly powerful. These are what's running our control systems today. Uh, the price is coming down, the power is going up, the amount of memory that they have is tremendous. And so 
you know, the first thing that we look at is let's make this thing appliance grade. You know, when you go to use your microwave, imagine if your microwave had to go out to the cloud to do something before it could cook your food. It really doesn't make sense, right? Oh, so oh, we want to give wanna... them time. Give them time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they'll figure out things to do with that. But um, you know, really, what we're trying to do is we got to make this thing run like an appliance, and then leverage the power of the cloud. So, uh, you know, when it makes sense to gather new data to get updates to share information, maybe you have multiple homes or maybe across multiple rooms or as Twan said on the enterprise side, uh, you know, when you have a couple thousand rooms in your facility, why would you ever have to load a program into the control system and have a unique program for uh, a particular room? Why wouldn't it just reach out to the cloud, figure out, um, you know, what room configuration it is and then all magically run the room itself? That's where the cloud starts to make sense and really that's how we're bringing it online. Um, not only that for device updates, you know, if the devices, the devices should be intelligent enough to go out and look to see if there are uh, relevant updates that, that should be accepted. Um, wherever we can make an integrator's life easier uh, or the end user's life easier and make it much more seamless, that's where I think the, the cloud really has a lot of benefits. Did you just suggest that I let my processor update its firmware automatically? Oh, no, I would never do that. <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> Rich? You know what? As you get to applications, though, so for example, um, you know we've introduced this Core Three UI concept. It's our new uh, user interface, and we have these smart objects, and you know they're application type programs for things like weather um, and and media and things like that. You know those are the types of things that should present themselves to the end user to allow them to selectively choose to update or not. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be an advocate of just saying, yeah, let's update the the base level code in the control system because that will cause people like Rich. Thank nightmares. you. Much, yeah, much, much, much consternation. Um, I would also add that, um, you know, the cloud really, for me, the management side of things is where the cloud concept, I think, can really benefit, you know, what we do. And we, you know, have our fusion software, which, mm -hmm. you know, basically it's server software that goes out there and is looking at all the different, you know, processors on the network. But, you know, taking that kind of concept, uh, you know, less hardware having to, to be deployed, uh, in different installations, that's that's I think where maybe our first step towards that kind of thing uh, to the cloud model would, would be. Nick, real quick, I don't mean to sidetrack you. Explain to people what Fusion is for you guys. Yeah, so Fusion is our um, remote management, global enterprise management software. Um, so there's two bits. There's the the AV bit, and then there's the energy management bit. So on the AV side, that's how it started for us. Uh, basically, we can monitor everything in the room, the projector lamp life, the, uh, the status of the power, if a laptop is plugged in or not, um, all those different things. We can get updates or alerts from the room saying, you know, I need, you know, uh, I need a new lamp. I need my lights, my lights are turned on or whatever it might be, all these kinds. Um, and then on the energy side, you know, we can turn on and off all the rooms, at, you know, starting at the beginning of the day, turn them on, have them on time clock, shut them down at the end of the day, um, and know, you know, based on occupancy, occupancy sensing, whether or not, you know, someone's in that space. So it becomes kind of like the, the view in on all of the spaces um, in an organization. And so it gives the AV manager and the building manager a tool uh, to, to be able to have visibility. And this is, I don't want to be simplistic here, but this is like the next generation of your room view. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Okay. I mean, that's, that's where it's evolved from is room okay. view. Yep. All right. Uh, Steve, um, are we ever going to see a, a time when 
you know, maybe the guys are, are right where we don't see maybe the physical box unless you do see the physical box going away and, and we start, start seeing processing in the cloud where everything is done in the cloud. Um, you know, both our, our controllers there and our content and everything else. Is that is that possible or has this hurricane and other natural disasters like it taught us that, you know, that's just not <laughs> it's just not real smart? Um, well, you know, up until recently I never thought that the cloud solution was really the way to go but for and I'll just take a little bit of a detour and talking about you know small businesses having the cloud solution right now would really benefit me because all I need to do hopefully my server would be somewhere where it's nice weather and I'd just be able to, to be able to get to it and I'd have my email and my files and so forth so um, you know, and that is one big benefit. I could see in our industry, um, when you look at, say, a digital signage solution or, or maybe your very small hang-and-bang systems, if you're just able to put a bunch of those on a network connection and get them back to a cloud-based solution, I could see that being of value. Stuff that may not be as critical, I mean, although I know all systems are, I don't require a dedicated processor, let's say. So you could uh, take a, a whole uh, solution for, for a, a hundred displays and have them all connected via the cloud and, and be and you know, like you said too, get content to them, but, but also control as well. And, and of course, uh, management and being able to know if they're up and running, uh, if they need to be maintained, and, um, and and certainly uh, another thing to consider is security. You can detect if it's been stolen. So it's a, a bit, I could see there be the cloud being a, a value in in certain situations. Rich, um, all kidding aside, with the firmware up. Uh, this, I mean, I, I just thought of another possible solution where you could, you know, you don't have to make a service call to update, you know, somebody's programming if you want if they change out a DVD player or something. You could do it from the comfort of your own home, upload it on the cloud, and there you go. You're done. The first, yes. Um, y- yes, but. Here, 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 let, me, let me take a step back, because this is something that I actually, in residential, I'm dealing with daily. This is pretty much um, kind of like the early days of digital music. The term, the cloud, is currently the bane of my existence, <laughs> because it is such an overused term that nobody wants to quantify and qualify. It's like this magical dumpster of technology that, you know, when somebody doesn't have an answer, that's the first word. Oh, let's put it in the cloud. Like, what do you mean? Um, I, I, we view it a couple, I think with control systems, rather than kind of the cloud, quote unquote, we have always promoted it as on-site and off-site solutions and synchronization. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a big difference there. Control systems have local items that they need to take care of, right? It's little things like turning things on and off, um, making sure that they operate, changing a channel, et cetera, et cetera. You don't need to go to the Internet to say, is it okay to turn this on and off? So there's a bit of logic that you just need to stay with locally. Um, now, in terms of managing it, in terms of updates, in terms of collaboration and synchronization, then yes, some form of tool, whether it is an offsite server, because that's all the cloud is, right? It's just a giant server farm that somebody owns. 
The only difference between the cloud and what you're doing is that you don't have maybe a server sitting in your office or your corporation. You're leasing space from somebody who stores it for you. And then they use the internet to get it from point A to point B. So that's kind of the first thing that we try to explain to people. And the reason being is you need to be careful about that because you need to first pick who's going to hold your information. Perfect example is the uh, mega upload uh, oh, yeah. lawsuit going on right now, right? There are companies right now, and there's individuals that are being told by court order they can't access their data. Why? Because the, the government in the, in the middle of this, this um, indictment against Kim.com is saying, you need to prove to us that what you have is legit. And by the way, it's so expensive for us to determine if what you have is legit. Eh, we don't really need to give it to you. That's, you know, all of a sudden, say, if you decided that you were providing a quote-unquote cloud solution and you put all your eggs in the basket in the cloud, these are things that can happen. Your data is a commodity at this point. So I think from the manufacturer's side and, and what, you know, Fred and some of the others were talking about, there's a lot of power in being able to have a synchronized system where you have a central repository for data where you can get little things like updates and, and you can – update a multiple of sites very simply as opposed to a point-to-point -point kind of a sneaker net version where you have to walk in, load a floppy disk, upload the program, and you're done. High-speed Internet has now given us the ability to do that. I mean, 20 years ago, we were using 9,600 baud modems, and the running joke used to be, I mean, we were doing remote programming 20 years ago, but the running joke used to be, don't pick up the phone, we're dialing in. And you'd have to tell people in another city when the phone rings, don't pick it up because we're programming your restaurant. <laughs> Wow. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm managing today three sites remotely, you know, in three different cities. Why? Because we have high-speed Internet. So, you know, the bandwidth and the pipes are allowing us a flexibility to be able to streamline the process so that, yes, you're not doing truck rolls. Yes, you can monitor things. Um, but but kind of going back to this repository, it, it, perfect example, um, you know, because in residential, we're dealing with entertainment systems. Yes, we're dealing with life and, and safety systems, but typically you've got specific contractors and trades involved with that and a completely different level of expectation and kind of fail-safe um, uh, protocol. In this essence, we're dealing with entertainment, whether you're turning something on or off, changing a channel, changing the temperature in something. Um, that is just an adjunct to what the device itself is doing. So... So what we're able to do with, with these remote solutions is to be able to say, you know what, all of your we, – we have this happen during football season. We maintain a little module that um, during football season updates the games that's on their touch panels. Okay. Now, for me to go out to 15 different sites and manually push that up, that's a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, and we tried it about 10 years ago. That's right? not really working well. We've now got it to the point where the processors – go to basically our mothership and say, what are the games this week? And it drops them down into a favorites list so that on Sunday morning a client can go, touch a button, and it's there. They, they don't have to worry about which channel it's on. So that's the power of a synchronized solution where we can go ahead and update many with a very small amount of, of effort on our side once we built the infrastructure for let me, it. Let me ask you a question about that real quick. Is that something where you would update uh, you know, multiple processors over the you know using the same settings and stuff like that or is that just okay yeah they, they all they all call back to our server okay and our server then just updates them 
So and they, they do an occasional call out and say, is there anything new? Now, that's great because the majority of the code is running what they need to day to day. And when they have an internet connection or if it happens to be spotty or goes in and out, we're not worried about it because it's happening in the background. Um, but, but going back to the cloud, the reason why, why we have such an issue with using that term right now is that Apple TV and these streaming services, you know, they're fantastic when you have a strong inter- Ethernet, you know, or, or Internet signal. But we get lots of calls where all of a sudden the Internet goes out because, uh, you know, the power company had <laughs> knocked over a pole or yeah. somebody pulled a cable or, you know, even just their Internet router um, just decides to give up the ghost for a minute. Now they can't watch TV because everything that they had was being provided by somebody else. So without the ability to have some kind of local access, you're kind of sitting there dead in the water. So instead of giving them the convenience that they said they wanted, you're actually causing more of a problem. With control systems, we see the same way, which is let this thing do its job and only let it go out and ask for something when it needs it. But otherwise, just leave it alone. So what we're finding, you know, perfect example was um, my, uh, we use uh, collaboration tools for different projects so we can share programs. We were using um, a combination of Dropbox and Box.net. Mm-hmm. Well, this week, guess what happened? Dropbox went down for a period of time. It all kinds of issues where all of a sudden the tools that you were used to relying on for the past few years, yeah, maybe it'll update the file in about an hour. That was, you know, from a business standpoint, that ground down the gears on us. So, you know, those are the things that we're looking at considering from a business standpoint and from these, these automation systems is when is it appropriate to to keep things local, which is, you know, when you want to make sure that our, our view is, is look, if we if we disconnected the Internet to the house, what are the things that are important to you? Okay. And we keep those as a local solution. Then we go to the next phase, which is the, okay, these are the things that if you have the Internet, they're the next, they're, 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 they're the icing on the cake at that point, where you can have these updates, like we're talking about, you know, this NFL thing that we do. Um, or you can synchronize, you know, music collections or, you know, any of these other things that happen that, you know, like we, we use the heck out of iPads, right? We are constantly, instead of using traditional touch panels now and having to connect to a specific touch panel, we now remotely just update our processors. And then when we have a version 1.1 update to our, our user interface layout, we push it into their, into their control processor. Next time they turn on the, the iPad app, it's got the new UI in there. So that to us is, you know, again, not a cloud solution. It's a synchronized solution. But we're a, able to, to push data out. It's almost like constantly keeping the connection. It's almost like Reagan said, you know, uh, trust but verify. <laughs> you have it in the cloud, <laughs> and you have it with you physically. I, yeah, I, I, and I get that. I just maybe I'm I'm still doe-eyed from the whole idea of cloud or remote or you know uh, storage or whatever you want to call it. So have you ever had Netflix streaming go down? You know what? I've actually migrated to to Amazon, but I don't want to get into that fight. Um, okay. I'm, I'm more of an Amazon guy. Yeah, but yes, I have had it go down. So right. imagine trying to change the temperature in your house, but your thermostat's got to go to the cloud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and and you see the big thing on your touch panel going buffering, buffering, buffering. It's like, oh, you know. I mean, it, it, and that that is part of the problem too. Is there's latency in the cloud, and these are all the things that people don't think about. Is that you know for it to go out, like you were just saying. Um, which is, you know, if it needs to go out to some form of central repository to say, raise the temperature by two degrees, people are button pushers. 
they could have pushed that button seven times oh, yeah. before they get the, the acknowledgement coming back. But we're, we're so used to instant gratification <laughs> that we don't take those things into account. And, and because we are a mobile and PC and, and, and tablet-driven industry now, they take that for granted, and they just automatically assume that their control system is going to do the same. And that's really the fine line. That's a double-edged sword that we have to deal with, which is you know, what, what uh, Fred was saying, which is you know, it's appropriate use. It's, it's deciding when it's purpose-driven as opposed to, hey, look, we do the cloud. I mean, it sounds great from a marketing standpoint, but most of the people that you're selling it to have no idea what you're saying in the first place. So it's really a matter of educating them to what you mean by this term. What it means, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening. No, no, no. no. It's, it's an important Here's the thing. It, it, you're, you're right because most people hear the cloud and I'm like, oh, that's what I want because everybody says the cloud. It's an important discussion to have, not just with you guys, but also you know, with other people as well, is to say you maybe want to rethink that and let's, let's define what the cloud is. Like you said when you first started, what really is the cloud and what do people mean? So. Uh, you are listening to AV Week. Thank you so much for doing so. With us this week is Tuan Lierenfeld from uh, Crestron, Nick Scott, and Fred Bargetzi, also kind of work in the same building <laughs> at Crestron, Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts, and Rich Fergoza from Fergoza Design. Uh, gentlemen, uh, from time to time, we get some news over from across the pond, and this week was the same. Uh, the lights, or the rather the lights, the analog signal has gone out uh, in the big UK. The last, very last analog TV signal was shut off in Northern Ireland, uh, this kind of culminates the the past few years that the United Kingdom has gone through, moving everything to digital. Um, Steve, th th this piqued a question in me, and so we'll ask you guys, um, when will we see the last analog signal uh, from the AV world? I, I think it depends on when the devices that were, people are bringing to connect to systems that no longer have analog, and and I think think that that's going to be a largely large factor in that answer. I was looking more like a for a date here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took the high road. All right, Rich, hey, Tim, yes, it's Fred, I, I can tell you. Um, look, we sell a lot of uh, video systems, both analog and digital, and. Um, from the uh, the past, I mean, many people didn't know Crestron sold a significant amount of uh, analog-type systems. We had a, a product line called Quick Media, mm -hmm. which worked over Cat5 for many, many years. And um, I can tell you that just looking at the numbers of the sales, especially compared to our digital products, I mean, they have dropped down to almost nothing. Um, but I think that the key really is, and Steve said it in a nice way, right? When the devices disappear, that's when they're going to go away. Um, not, not making a pitch for our digital media stuff, but the real key behind that was it takes in analog and digital, right? So yeah. um, when you can support both of them, then life is pretty good. Um, but the fact is, I mean, more and more on the consumer space, we're seeing these things go away. I got one of the latest Dell laptops now. Um, DisplayPort isn't even on there. It's HDMI. They've really standardized. Um, look at uh, Apple TV. I mean, whatever device is coming out these days, they're really limiting the connections. And so I don't think anybody really has to turn the spigot off. It's just happening. You know, it's, it's pretty much done. And, you know, the U.K. actually led this whole revolution. Sky TV, I think it was probably three years ago now, was the first one to shut off analog. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's no surprise to really see that they've officially shut it down um, all across there, you know, and that they're really the first people to do it. Well, and they have they have some advantages. First of all, they they have a pretty robust state-run uh, television system. Secondly, it's a smaller country. 
So yep. I, I'm not yep. I'm not making excuses, but they have a much smaller footprint to worry about than than we do over here. Uh, Twan Fred said something actually about you know the fact. That, by the way, it it saddens me that Fred that your your laptop doesn't have Display Port because I was really hoping for it. So. Um, <laughs> Right? You know what? <laughs> I hate the HDMI connector. I really do. And it's, I, I, I understand. Huh? I don't think anyone loves it. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you, you guys have got some, some, some locking ones. Some other guys have got some, some, uh, some other solutions on ways to keep it, you know, in place. But, uh, yeah, it's just not a, it's not a good thing. <laughs> so, I <don't> know. <laughs> Uh, Tuan Fred said something about you know it, it'll happen when you know, it's just kind of slowly migrating. Um, it, it, the one thing that that I've understood, at least from really smart people, much smarter than me, is that it actually costs more to shift to analog, to take a computer which is a primarily a digital system, right, and convert that to a VGA which is an analog signal. So, and I know that there's a couple pieces of there's a couple white papers going around about AMD and, and Intel and a couple other guys. Uh, stopping uh, stopping the, the production of VGA uh, signals, I want to say 2014 or 2015, somewhere in there. Uh, is that kind of one of those watermarks where all of a sudden some major computer guys are saying we're done with VGA? Is that one of the downturns, or is it, like Fred said, it's just going to kind of be done with with uh, with just, you know, as one piece of equipment is replaced with with a digital piece? You know, I think that uh, once laptops, you know, or, or computers are switching completely to digital, they will definitely set the trend and have many uh, devices follow. But I think in the at least in the home AV and even the professional AV, uh, you know, I don't think you can find any equipment other than the computer that is still analog. No, that's true. Well, and Tim, to your point, we, um, you know, we were talking about this two or three years ago, and we were really going out and telling everybody, look, nobody wants to go digital, right? But it's not really our choice. Um, and one of the things that I would go out and tell folks is that uh, from the chip perspective side of things, it is cheaper. It's cheaper for the laptop manufacturers to drive all digital because the LCD display, um, so, and, and the chipsets that were coming out from the various manufacturers lent itself to digital, to, to digital outputs as opposed to digital and analog. And so it really became cost and a size thing as well. You know, as you look at the laptops and they get thinner and thinner, everybody wants, uh, you know, the thinnest laptop possible. Um, a VGA connector is really fat and analog connector is fat. So there's so many reasons why it's happening. But uh, let's be really honest. Yeah, cost is probably the primary driver. Yeah, I saw the, the, the keynote for the new iMac. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, holy cow. But then right. you look at it for real and it's not really that much thinner. So yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not. It's marketing. Nothing. No, no offense. Come on now. No, no offense, Nick. It's marketing. The, the next, the next version will be invisible. It's so <laughs> The next, the next version will be implanted into your brain. Right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Macs. I do. I have, I have one, and I have an iPad, and they, they just work, you know. But it's not thinner. So, uh, well, well, uh, 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 well, they, they work unless you want to use um, a, a mouse emulator that isn't made yet. Oh, he's taking a shot. I'm taking a shot. I'm I'm taking a shot. I, it, <laughs> you know what? It, it works unless you want to program a crestron system too. So that's just that's a whole other yeah. Um, so I'm on a MacBook Pro and I program my crestron system. Because probably. you have an emulator. I know, I know. And you you Come you, on, you load up Windows 8 and it's all pretty, whatever. So <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. Um, 
Rich, uh, give me. Are you going to give me a date? Because none of these other guys are giving me a date. Are you going to give me a date when analog's going away? Uh, you know, I, I, I you know what? A, a couple of weeks ago, um, I would have said no, but the fact that the FCC, the cable companies, there you go, the FCC, yep. to for the sake of closing the loop on privacy for HDCP um, is what it is. Yeah. But go so ahead. you know, I. There's there's going to be some legacy stragglers, but I think now that the cable companies have received um, some court support to be able to actively shut it down, I'm thinking maybe 24 to 36 months. I really holy think cow, it, wow! In terms of in terms of anything being out there that's sold or produced or marketed, there's always going to be legacy devices, and people are always going to be able to make devices that can convert a yeah. signal. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be great for companies like Crestron and other manufacturers who have conversion and adapter units. But I think that in terms of seeing any item that, you know, takes some form of analog, I mean, you're already seeing it now. I mean, a lot of displays, more and more to save costs, they're cutting out the, uh, the, the, the tuners in them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think this, you know, not a lot of people are talking about this FCC thing. I think it's huge. You know, again, when I read it, I went, holy cow. Um, you know, somehow whoever it was that was able to campaign for this. Um, because, again, all of these free devices that they were sending out that were government subsidized when the analog sunset hit, they're not working. Yeah. <laughs> How's that working for you now? Uh, because the cable companies are saying, no, we don't have to give you cable now. <laughs> you know, you've you got to pay for it now. And uh, I think what it'll also wind up doing, I, I, ironically enough, I think what the cable companies will wind up doing by forcing that issue is they're going to accelerate the cut the court movement. I think you will see other manufacturers who are just going to completely, I think what's going to happen is people are going to abandon that market. It's less a matter of people making things for the market. I think that other players are going to come in and say, you don't need to use that market. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see how they slug it out because as the pipes are opening up, cable is becoming less and less of, uh, of an issue to begin with. Yeah, and I and I would agree with that as well. Both both your assessment of the FCCs because that was huge. We actually talked about it on last week's show because that right there gives cable companies the ability to say, okay, you know, everybody has to have a box and it has to mm-hmm. be connected via HDMI. So there goes my CRT. Bye bye. <laughs> I still, you know, I still have a CRT. Very nice. I'm sure you can find a very nice scaler made by some manufacturer who can get it. <laughs> we can get it to you. You, know? yeah. you still want to use that four hundred pound, thirty-two inch Sony Trinitron? You know what? Sure it's, don't 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 bash my stinking Trinitron. It's still <laughs> gorgeous, and I will I will use it until the the red, the green, and the blue go out. Just right now, it's the blue. So, um, <laughs> good night. All right, let's go back to Engadget here for a second, and let's pick on the marketing guy. Um, that would be Nick. Um, the uh, LG is coming out with with an 84 inch 4K TV. It's fabulous. I'm sure it's twenty thousand dollars. I don't have twenty thousand dollars for it. Um, Rich has two on. Rich, Rich has two on order, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> I'm holding out, but I'm, I'm waiting <laughs> until they hit ten. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, Nick, is this okay? Th- th- my question is on the on the delicious, delicious feed. Was this? Um, is 4K turning into 3D? And by 3D, I mean it's just the next buzzword that they're getting, they're using to get us to want to buy another television. Uh, you know what? I don't really think so because 
and this might be hard to believe as a marketing guy or as a tech guy. Actually, I do have an engineering degree, so that's a little dirty secret. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I actually haven't walked the show floor and looked at a 3D display in the last few years. I just, I don't know, there's something about it that just never seemed to be very interesting to me. Um, just maybe the glasses thing, and, and now I know that's going away, but still, it just, it seems kind of weird. But the 4K thing is kind of interesting because it just, you know, just just the clarity. I mean, 1080p is great, but I think 4K has a better shot at making something, ha you know, having a future than than 3D, and and especially I, I don't know. I mean, that's it's still new, it's still up there, up in the air. But um, more resolution. We've always gotten more resolution if you look at his, you know, history with mm -hmm. displays. Yeah. So the, the, if you want to look at trends, and that's a trend that theoretically we'd be, you know, moving towards. Well, if you ask the manufacturers, 4K doesn't exist. We're now dealing with ultra HD. Yeah, and that's stupid. But, <laughs> that's but then the other, the other the other side of it is also the content. You know, where's the content coming from? And that's that's really what drives the display. So isn't if, that kind when, of the same argument that people had when when HD came out? Was why do I need this when there's no content? Right. Well, that was that was kind of true for a while. I mean, there were like what three four channels you can get HD feeds, uh, but then. You know, and then it's always the early adopter. So the twenty thousand dollar four K TV in two thousand and twelve. Are we in two thousand and twelve? Yeah. Um, yes. yes, still. <laughs> still. Uh, that you know, that's going to be eight thousand, four thousand dollars in the next four, five, six years. So I mean, you know, it just takes time for and cameras, the the stuff we're shooting on. You know, the it took forever for studios to to uh, switch all their cameras out to HD cameras. And there's still some SD cameras floating around that some second-rate shows get filmed in. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you're seeing that totally go away. So it, it, it's got to be the whole chain. you got to remember where it's all coming from. The whole chain of uh, from capturing the image all the way down to, to uh, displaying that image. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> the, the one thing I, I have about this is the fact that it's... I don't know. The it, I see the 4K, and unfortunately, I've also read a story about 8K already. So that's why I'm asking the thing about 3D. So uh, the guys over at NRK over in Japan have actually broadcast an 8K sig signal uh, over the air. So hmm. yeah, that was interesting. It was big. Uh, Steve, is this maybe uh, like like well, like like Nick said? It's not 3D because the pictures is so much better. It's not like a little gimmicky thing, but the actual resolution is better. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't think of it that way at first, but but you know, if we can make it a little bit more affordable, then it's something that I think that we can grasp onto a little bit, and of course, we can appreciate the clarity of the signal, and it is something that's practical. But but again. You know, content is a limiting factor in, in order to really be able to say that it has value. Uh, but, you know, whereas 3D, I think, is a novelty, and, and we, we, we've yet to be able to see something that is that, that is a, a tangible benefit for, or for it, in, you know, other than for um, entertainment and, and potentially a uh, you know, medical application or something of that nature. But uh, it, it, it didn't really catch the way the... Uh, 
the manufacturers had expected or, or had hoped. I'm sorry. Give me the medical application for it again. <laughs> well, I, I, mean, I missed you know, that one. I, 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 I mean, I, I think, and, and I've, I've seen systems where they needed to look at molecules in the 3D image and uh, I've put in systems or program systems that, that have been for pharmaceutical companies that have needed a, a 3D image. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to move on to something because we're, we're running out of time here, guys. But uh, I wanted to get to this. This is from AV Network. Um, hey, look. Crestron's shipping a uh, CP3. That means the three part, if you didn't get that, is means it's the three series processor. Um, this is not the first one that they've done, but this is. Um, can I say it's the first big one, Fred? Fred? Lost me for a second. I Got me. Can I okay. can I say? Um, yeah, you know, it, it is. Uh, it's interesting when we were corresponding about this. I said, hey, you know, the three series is out. Um, but it, you know, in your defense, we used uh, something C three, which was really meant to be a small room controller on the platform uh, back in February of last year. Yeah. And um, we did that on purpose, quite frankly, because we really wanted to get the system out, make sure that we had a good, solid platform. You know, we understand the impact that uh, that can happen when we release these type of things and, and you know, what, what can happen to guys like Steve and Rich. And, you know, we certainly wanted to make sure that we did this thing right. There were years of development behind it. And so uh, another year later, now we finally introduced the CP3. And this, this is definitely the big boy, as you say. This is our most popular processor um, of anything that we ship today. Really? And Yes, it is. Okay. Um, and uh, it's kind of the workhorse of the line. And, you know, when you introduce a brand new platform to the workhorse of your line, you better make sure that you've done your due diligence. So I can safely say now really two years of shipping systems because we shipped the MC3 for about a year before we even really released it, um, that, you know, we do have a good solid platform. And, uh, and it is a significant change. Um. I apologize. I should have asked you this before, so you could look this up. If, unless you don't, unless you know off the top of your head, how long, how old, or how long has it been since you guys released a new a new uh, system like this? Like, how long was the two series out? Ooh, good question. Juan? <laughs> Anybody? Uh, it's it's over ten years ago because I've been wow. working at Crestron for ten years, and we've been shipping the two series since then. So, okay. yeah, the two series, the two series was circa. 2001, 2002. So it has been 10 years since you guys released a new a new processor system. Yeah. A, yeah. A, new a new platform. A new platform, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it sounds nuts, right? But um, we started development of the 3 Series almost five years ago. And uh, wow. a good solid over a year was spent just researching platforms, architectures, programming languages, um, setting up systems. And we designed boards. We ran performance testing, uh, both for network communications and real-time performance. Um, we spent almost $2 million just on the research on what platform should we change to alone. So the process was quite quite long or lengthy, I should say. Um, another two years was spent really developing the platform and uh, you know, I hate to even put it this way, but with the MC3, when we released it, we really spent the two years recreating what we had. And what I mean by that is um, we have almost 60,000 people around the world that program Crestron, and they have a lot of intellectual property built up. And the last thing that we wanted to do was say, hey, you know what? We have this new platform. 
forget everything, you know, start over and, you know, just jump on board. Um, we, we didn't think that. And so, uh, you know, we spent two years really making our simple Windows engine run on this new platform um, and, uh, and getting that out to the market. So what's happened now over the last six or seven months or so was that uh, internally the engineers have been being really attention to this platform, and that was to expose uh, the, the C-sharp foundation. And uh, this was really to create a truly open appliance-grade device that would really take us into the next generation. And, uh, and so that's what's happening right now. And that's why this, this whole thing is really big. You know, the CP3 is a piece of hardware. I think it's a good piece of hardware. It's got some nifty stuff. Tuan can tell you about that. But, you know, the real foundation on even the smallest system, the MC3, is this C-sharp foundation. Well, Tuan, go ahead and talk about what the, the, you know, the, the, the CP3 and, and everything like that. And also... Um, let me ask you or, or, or Fred or Nick, um, is this is that what you're going to then, I guess, is is the C-sharp foundation? And are you getting away from simple windows then? No. So let's, let's do, you know, just in case many programmers listen to this, we, we are not throwing simple windows and simple plus away. So all the intellectual property that you've been building up over the last many, many years, you can still use. What we are doing is we're introducing on top of simple windows and simple plus the ability to make either modules in C sharp and interface directly with simple windows and simple plus or write your entire program in simple uh, in um, C sharp. So we're really trying to make it so that if you want to connect to a web server and parse XML or do any of that, C Sharp is just built for that. It does it you know, natively. You don't have to write your own classes for that. So right there, writing a simple Sharp, that's the language, you know, the name that we picked, um, the simple Sharp language makes that a lot easier versus having to write it in simple plus. So we're giving you the best of both worlds, the, the openness and the power of C Sharp, but some of the ease of simple windows, like, you know, we are introducing simple plus, uh, sorry, simple sharp. And as a technology manager, I, I figured I would dive in and I would just program my house in, you know, in, in C sharp. And some of the stuff that you've gotten used to doing in simple windows, as simple as an interlock, all of a sudden is work, you know, in C sharp. So I think that by basically being able to straddle both sides of the fence uh, and having multiple programs running on a single box, you can really get the best of both worlds and make a system that is uh, modern but has some of the easiness of simple windows still in place. Right. Oh, Tim, just a, sorry, Nick, I'll just jump in real quick. Uh, Tim, really, the key to this was something that we introduced. I don't think a lot of people really understood how to take advantage of, and in their defense, we really didn't give them a lot of good excuses. Uses, but um, the, the 3 Series has the ability to run 10 programs simultaneously. And so really the nice thing about the way we've introduced this is, as Tuan said, you can take your intellectual property, let's say my program running my entire house that I really don't feel like rewriting, um, but as new uh, libraries or devices or things come out that lend itself towards C-sharp, that can run in a whole uh, separate program, and they can run concurrently, and they can communicate to each other. So the nice thing is, is we're, as you said, we're giving you the power of the C Sharp, this incredibly powerful programming platform, parallel with Windows, and to allow you to leverage this power uh, without really giving up the years and years of work that you might have in your simple Windows library. All right, Nick, the marketing guy. Um, yeah. why, um, why should I run out and get a, a CP3? I mean, that why, why should I get that instead of um, I don't know. I don't have a good... uh, CP2? Well, CP2? yeah. See, well, I, I, I was going to ask that, and you're going to tell me, well, we don't ship it anymore. So there you go. <laughs> actually, we actually do, and you can still buy it if you, if you want well, it. Well, there you but go. 
for the same price, I can get you into a much <laughs> faster <you> <laughs> processor. <laughs> Today. Today. That's what it takes to get you into the CP3. Actually, the, the one good thing is for the same price, you also get a power supply with the CP3 right there. Well, there That's you the go. You the CP3. That, that and, right and, there is a sales job. And, and also, we... The CP3 also consumes a lot less power than the CP2E does, so it's greener. So it's green. So there you go. So it costs you less to run, same 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 low price as before, and you get a power supply. And you get a power supply, and I'll it's green. I'll just wait for you guys to just throw in every other buzzword. It, it's cloud <laughs> and Bluetooth, too. <laughs> it is cloud because it runs 10, 10 programs, you know. Holy and actually, there's cow. a couple other nice little installer features like Phoenix connectors uh, on everything, so you don't have to solder up any um, DB9s for your 232 connection. Can I tell you that that right there was the most exciting thing I saw in your booth (laughs) at Infocom this year? I am not – nothing against your your wonderful touch panels and all that jazz. I saw the – you had a – if you didn't go to Infocom this year, Crestron had had all of their their new 3 Series and had the the backs of them uh, in a little rack. And they had the Pro 3 and the AV3 and the CP, all all of the new 3 Series. And yeah, you're right, Nick. All, nothing but Phoenix connectors, and it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. We're out. I'm out. Um, Steve and Richie, the, the reason I had you guys on with, with the Crestron guys to talk about this as well is because this is what you guys do. You know, Steve, uh, Control Concepts, and, and both for Goza Design uh, from two different, different coasts, this is what you do. So, Steve, is this is the fact that they've got this new platform, uh, the the first one in so many years, uh, good for you guys, bad for you guys, um, or do you just kind of see it as a, just another evolution of their product line? Well, for us, I, I think it prevent, presents a lot of opportunity. I mean, we're we're looking at a, a much more robust system now. We can take we can with the advent of Simple Sharp. We can look at bringing in mainstream programming uh, technology and and knowledge, and and potentially uh, create more opportunities to hire people into the industry who can now relate to what we're doing. Um, the the ability to run multiple programs starts you thinking about how you build your program rather than looking at it as something that, that's serially, you can look at it almost as, as parallel, where you can write different the, the, the different subsystems and put them into the different programming slots and have them communicate with each other so that if you want to switch out one of them, it doesn't impact the others. Um, there, there's the, the, um, going to be more memory, um, you know, the ability to support uh, web pages and and mobile apps and so forth have uh, have great benefit and and it really seems to be what what the clients are looking for. And I'm glad, Steve, you mentioned the whole thing about bringing others into our industry. Be, you know, given the more common programming language that you know C sharp kind of opens a door, that that's a big part. I also I think because now you know you can the basic program can be done by you know your your in-house programmer kind of thing, and then if you had some really crazy stuff you wanted to do, you could kind of farm that out to somebody who's been, you know, who's a an uber duber programmer, and uh, you know that's a marketing term, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know if that was a a, a Cisco certification or what. <laughs> you know, and and so I think it opens the doors a lot of opportunities. Yeah, while we we don't see you know simple Windows going away either, you know we 
I, I have a programmer on staff who's been looking his chops for this for quite some time just because he he gets to he gets frustrated with with limitations and and sometimes you just need to write something in another language to to fulfill a need and and this really provides a good complement uh rich is i mean is this something where you and i are going to have to start taking you know uh simple or not simple um <laughs> yeah simple sharp classes or or c sharp classes or is this something where you see a lot of change when it comes to both your residential stuff and also your commercial stuff? I'm excited about this because it, it's actually um, towing in with something that I've been campaigning about for years and years, which is about collaboration instead of competition between um, you know industries. I mean, the, the, the home automation industry or the automation industry or whatever you want to call it, we're such a small segment of the, the greater tech ecosystem. And for the longest time, I think we were able to do it. My feeling has always been that the electronics industry is always about 20 years behind the tech industry. Um, you know, 20 years ago, you had the Sun Microsystems and the Cray Microcomputers, and these guys were all hardware-driven um, processes. Right? You had huge servers and processing power and everything else, and then the software industry has moved into a software-driven model. You know, software is eating the hardware world. I think we're starting to see that happen. I think we're closing the gap finally in our industry where it isn't 20 years in between what the tech industry does and what we're following up on. We're starting to see the light that, you know, we are a software-driven world these days. And it is more important to start developing software tools to be able to get our job done um, more reliably, uh, more cost-effectively, and more flexibly and be able to grow. Because, again, the, 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 I, and I think it's really based on the fact that Fifteen years ago, you know, your point of entry was a touch panel, a dedicated device, right, that you had to program that did only one thing. It spoke to one specific unit, a control processor. Now, 99% of my clients use a multitasking device, whether it's a tablet or um, a smartphone. So it, it, it's necessary for the devices that we're providing to be able to open up to all of those other services. Um, point in fact is that, you know, like with the old process, I mean, I've got clients now, I've got one client, it's 21 years that he's had a Crestron system. Wow. And we've gone through, we've gone through every single iteration of the, uh, the Crestron control processes, back to the CNMS, which was basically the, the early precursor to the, what is the CP3 now? Um, it was kind of the all-in-one Very box. What's that? Very early. Very early. And you know what? Ran fantastic. I mean, I think, what, did, what would we have? 64K of, of memory to work with? Um, you know, you want to talk about learning how to get lean and mean and writing code. I'm kind of dating myself. But, uh, but, but, but kind of the, circling back to the point with this is that by opening it up to an expanded programming community, I don't necessarily need to learn that programming language. I don't need to work in that programming language if I have the ability to write a good specification for what I need. Now I can go ahead and tap into a talent pool of, you know, again, I'm in the Silicon Valley. So I've got, uh, you know, I've got a huge pool to be able to draw from to be able to say, yeah, somebody coming out who is fluent in C sharp, I can possibly bring in, you know, at, at, a, at a nice rate that I don't necessarily have to relearn or bring it in, in in house myself. Or I can hire somebody and have them focus on that while we are phasing out, you know, some of the legacy tools. Um, 
you know, the, the biggest thing, too, is, again, with these mobile devices and everything being web-driven, the original control processors just really weren't built to be, you know, Internet communication devices. There was a whole lot of just hoops and, and rings of fire that you had to jump through just to get something as simple as scraping weather information, you know. Um, and now we've got modules that will do it, but in the, in the beginning, trying to be able to get from point A to point B, a lot of times you had to have a computer in between that you had to write a specific little interface that would take something off of the Internet and spit it into something that the control processor could learn. So with C-sharp and some of these tools that are coming, we're able to bypass some of that and, and streamline the process. So I, I'm excited because it will allow us to make our user interfaces and, and our control systems operate much more like the handheld devices that our clients ha are taking for granted now. That's always been the, that, not always, but that's currently been the disconnect that we've been having with a lot of projects and clients is that there is a much larger industry that is driving what we've become accustomed to. And we've been constantly playing catch-up saying, yeah, I know, it's really cool that your device can do that, but yeah, we don't do that. Don't but do that. here's this piece. Isn't that cool? And it's been a whole lot of, you know, look over at my right hand while my left hand's doing this that I don't necessarily have to have that conversation anymore. Or at least I hope I don't have to have that conversation more um, in the next few years where deliverable products that are much more like what our clients are accustomed to. Yeah, absolutely, and that, and that's the one thing that I'm I'm kind of excited about too is 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 getting my hands on this and and learning you know C sharp and simple sharp as well. So, uh, all right, uh, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, thanks so much for listening. That gentleman right there is Rich Fragosa from FragosaDesign.com. Uh, how can people find you and find out about you, sir? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at r Fragosa, and you can also find me on my website at FragosaDesign.com and. Through a couple of different uh, venues, every once in a while you'll see me on CE Pro or in the uh, Twitterverse. And uh, obviously, if you see me at any of the varied AV events with my little CE Pro hat on, come and say hi. Yay! Uh, <laughs> also with us uh, from the uh, parking lot of <laughs> of a mall, apparently in Jersey, uh, Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. Thank you so much. Uh, how can people get a hold of you, sir? Uh, thank, thank you for having me, Tim. Uh, I can be reached on Twitter as well at, at Steve Greenblatt. Uh, my website is controlconcepts.net, and I do a little bit of writing for con commercial integrator and corporate tech decisions and uh, just around uh, in the industry. I hope to see everybody. Very good. Uh, Fred Bargetzi had to leave, but he's the VP of technology. You could probably find him uh, on Crestron's website. Uh, Twan Lerenfeld, he is the technology manager for Control Systems. Thank you so much, sir. It was fun being here. Uh, could you have a Twitter or anything that you want to point people to? No, but people who are on Crestron Labs know how to find me. There you go. Crestron Labs. What's Crestron Labs? Crestron Labs is our uh, community it's a where people... It's cool club. Apparently, because no, I'm not in it. <laughs> well, that, then, then you should be. It's where uh, you can get pre-released uh, firmware and software and actually discuss directly with engineers about what you know we don't like about what you don't like about it or what you love about it. Seriously, I did not it's know a, about this. It's a great tool. It's a great tool. It's really, tool. It's really awesome. And I, I really contribute the success of the 3 Series to that because we ran for over a year with over 90 units of the MC3 on Crestron Labs. That's how it got started. And now wow. Core 3 UI is on there, 3 Series firmware, 2 Series firmware. Everything is there. It's great. I have learned something new today. I can go home now. 
That is really cool. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for for joining us. And also, uh, Nick Scott, the Marketing Solutions Manager uh, for Control Systems from Crestron. Thank you so much, Nick. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Would you like to point anybody anywhere? uh, If you need to get in touch with me, you can email me at nscott at crestron.com. nscott at crestron.com. My name is Tim Albright. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, that's fine. Uh, at TD, Tim David Albright, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. But more importantly for me and everybody here at AV Nation, please go by the website. Uh, the guys that did it worked very hard on it. Uh, it's avnation.tv, avnation.tv. There you're going to find uh, this podcast as well as others, uh, our education focus, the live life, and others. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and also Twitter, TV. Uh, is the Twitter handle. So thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week. 